listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I am Marcus, and here's the second episode of the final curtain call. Legendary music, or legendary Grassroots music venues, remembered. Um, first of all, thank you to everybody that took the time to um, help me with my research last week. I had a lot of emails and a lot of um, other messages and um, inboxes and all sorts of, that all sorts of new technology that everybody's using these days that's uh, a bit above my head but I'm getting used to it um, concerning lots of other venues and lots of other places that I should research and reminding me of several other venues and um, places that uh, even I'd forgotten about um, so they're going to come up as, as we go on I've still been um, doing a little bit more filming of the YouTube series but I've got to do the editing bit now and now now I sort it's sort of game on now because I've got to do the editing and now I'm thinking oh right well the filming was easy enough because I'm a bit of a show off and I don't mind playing up in front of a camera but now I've got to be technical and try and make it make sense of everything but um, first of all the a lot of of what I learned last week from the people who corresponded with me and they know who they are but who they are but um, it's about time you did um, Andy Price um, was really really helpful um, with um, some information and. Um, Oh, he, he, drew, he even took the time to, well, I did ask him actually, but he took the, tr the time to draw me a floor plan of the old double six so I could get a rough idea of what the setup was and, and include that in one of my um, Final Curtain Call YouTube videos. So I've got that sorted out. Um, and Terry Stewart, um, who goes back uh, quite a while, he was only a kid back then in the mid-70s, but um, he's not a kid anymore, but um, he was really, really great um, and gave me so many... Um, different pieces of information which really confirmed to me just what a small world um, I've been in for all of these years. See, I've made many friends over the years, people that I um, either was a, a jam night with or in some cases wrote with or in some cases, you know, just performed with or or, or worked, just taught. And, and um, unbelievable, um, Terry sent me a picture, a photo of, um, and it was... And it was a band he was in. I think it was Strawberry Hill. But whatever it was, it was the band he was in. And um, he says, this is Strawberry Hill. So I was like, okay. And I'm thinking, right, well, I know Terry. And then he says to me, well, that's Alan Buckley on vocals. I'm like, well, Alan's been a friend of mine for 30 years. Um, and I never realized that you, you two worked together. And he said, and that's Steve Bird on uh, rhythm guitar. And I'm thinking, well, I met Steve a few times when Terry... Um, Terry and I used to run a uh, like a guitar workshop for a while in in uh, Hockley, um, and a, a real a real top bloke and a good musician as well. And um, he says it's Colin Buckley on the drums and uh, Telecaster Ted's Jam Night, which some of you uh, will remember. Um, and um, yeah, and it, and it and then he said, and, and then when we used to finish, sometimes the DJ used to go on. He was called Mickey Spectrum. Well, goodness me, I knew Mickey. Um, from when he had his own sort of uh, online radio. For, it would have been about 2003, four. He was uh, running a, a thing called Air Radio, which was like a, a streaming thing. But he championed um, the band that we were in. And we, we had a number one on his chart for a while. And I know he's busy. And I've not been in contact with Mickey for a while, but I'm definitely going to drop him an email and let him know that he's got a mention on this um, show because I couldn't believe what a small world it had been. Um, and also... Um, chatting to Andy and, and, and I suddenly realised um, Terry had put a comment on um, one of Andy's posts and it said uh, and, and Justin had 
uh, Andy's son, Justin, had, had uh, put up. And I thought, yeah, I know Justin. I knew, I knew Justin 20, 25 years ago when he was uh, very young, uh, probably 20, 21, and um, was uh, in, in a band that used to rehearse where I was doing a little bit of work. I used to do a bit of part-time at that time in the, one of the sports centres. So I used to sit at the back and talk music and strum guitars with them for a while when they were, you know, during breaks in rehearsals. And um, unbelievably small, small world. So to follow up on what I did last week and what I talked about last week, paraphying a few things which I said I would research. Um, I said last week that the double six uh, stood on the site of the um, petrol, petrol garage and... But it doesn't. It stood right on the corner of, of the Hatherley or the Hatherley, whatever, whatever you say it, um, where there's now, there are new uh, housing. There, there are new houses built there now. And um, I managed to get some pictures thanks to um, a gentleman called uh, Bill Cox. And he's from Buzzle and History um, online. Um, and his website, which he asked me to, to mention as I was using the photos, is basically called www.buzzledon.com forward slash history and then uh, my pay was forward slash inns pubs um so that's the that's the website for um bill cox who who was very kindly allowed me to use uh, reproduce some of the photos that were taken um when the double six was being demolished and it made me realize when as soon as i saw some of those photos that uh, when i'd said last week although i did say which was a bit of a disclaimer um, I will check it out because people have said it was the petrol garage, but I, I realised that the petrol garage had always been there. It used to be a jet one. And um, then the double six was right on the corner there um, of, of that road, which I actually drove down the other night just to check the location because, you know, I, I want to do it properly. Um, so let's clarify that. It actually stood on the corner there. Um, and uh, just as you turn left would have been where the where the stage was, I believe, although they did move it. Um, I was told that, that, that there were two separate times when the stage were, was in a couple of different places. But the one that everybody seems to know or seems to talk about is basically when the back of the stage backed on to the, the Hatherley. I'm going to call it the Hatherley, but it's, you know, and that's what they... So apparently as you went in through the front doors, the stage was there to the right um, and backed on to the Hatherley. But I've got some photos which I'm researching and, and having a look into um, to try and um, get a completely better idea of it it's it doesn't mean much to a lot of people but you know what it means a lot to me and if you're researching something and let's say you want to research the famous chair where Winston Churchill made his we should fight them on the beaches uh, then you want to sit in the right chair right you don't want to sit near it because that wouldn't work it certainly wouldn't work if you were an air, airline pilot and it, you know, we land, landed quite near to uh, Zakynthos, I want to land on it, I want to be in the right place, and and it's important for me, because for me, as I said, and and you know, it sounds a bit, you know, a bit weird, but it's important to me, and um, music, and any musician will tell you, music starts by coming through the soles of your shoes, it starts with you tapping your feet, it starts with you feeling it, and then you feel it in your soul, I'm thinking, if you're going to stand in the right place, if there's any of that uh, magic left, it's going to start by coming through the soles of your shoes. Now, that, that sounds a bit here, there and everywhere. And I promise you, I've never smoked any stuff. I've never taken any gear. But um, I've always been passionate about music. And I've always felt that it's more than just a few notes strung together in a particular order. So that clears that up. The actual site is right on the corner as you turn left into the Hatherley. 
So that clears that up. A couple of other things as well. A few bands that were mentioned last week um, that I just literally just threw out there um, because they were ones that I'd researched and they were ones that I'd been told about. But um, having researched it a little bit further, I found out that um, some of the some of the bands in particular, like uh, the Gentry, um, the Gentry was a very very early version of what became Spandau Ballet, um, and um, and apparently as well, at one time in London, there were two bands that had the name Spandau Ballet, or at least um, what the, 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 the Spandau Ballet that we know now uh, took their name from the original Spandau Ballet and, and when they changed it from the Gentry. Um, and we're looking for a new name. The original Spandau Ballet had um, disbanded. So they said, well, we might as well take their name. Um, and uh, they, they did all right, I think. They... <laughs> So um, that was, the, yeah, the Gentry became, uh, or at least was an early um, incarnation of, of Spandau Ballet. A few other bands that came up as well, and a few other little bits, um, names that came up with regards to the Double Six. Um, apart from the fact that, um, that there was a, a, a singer who used to sing all the time in there called Ron Williams um, and his wife Sylvia. Um, and apparently Ron was like a compare or, or used to sing. I don't know when that was. It, it, it may have been quite a while ago, but um, yeah, Ron Ron was well known in there. And also a few bands that I didn't mention, the Rosillos um, had played it. Um, and also, um, oh, having a little look through, as I said, Mickey Spectrum was the DJ. Um, and also Peter Sarstedt, um played there. And... Um, Somebody had had mentioned that uh, when when he played there, hardly anybody came. So he just played to a few people with his acoustic guitar. Um, but uh, there we go. And I mentioned last week uh, Otis Waygood, and they ended up doing some um, making some albums and um, and stuff like that. And also Jackie Linton, which I also realised I'd seen um, with Chaz and Dave about three years ago at uh, I think it's the Lee's. Lee's Hall or the Cliff, I can't think, but Folkestone anyway. Um, and also there are a few others, Nuts, N-U-T-Z, and Trapeze. And obviously there were Terry Terry Stewart's band, so you had Strawberry Hill um, and um, also the Pattenden Brothers, um, who were sort of moved around between, uh, I think it was they were part of that, that scene. So you had bands like Strawberry Hill, and then the old boy network that would have done a little bit there. That was uh, that was Terry again, um, and um, yeah, and and obviously as I said, and also Alan Buckley, who was uh, a, a good friend of mine. We go back years. I didn't realise that his brother Larry is Larry and the Streamers. Um, so Larry and the Streamers, although I don't think they're actually performing anymore, but we we knew of them for a long, long time. And Larry was in back to back, and I think Brahms and List. Um, before they um, actually became Larry and the Streamers. And they used to play a lot of Steely Dan and um, the Eagles and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, Strawberry Hill was uh, Terry Stewart, Alan and Colin Buckley, and Bob Hector on bass. And Bob ended up playing bass in the Pinkies. Um, now, that's something I'll, I need to research as well, because the only Pinkies lineup I know is, is the one that's on the record. But I do know there are a couple of other members that uh, came along. And Telecaster Ted was Telecaster Ted Tomlin. That was his uh, 
that was his that was his uh, full name, but everybody knew him as Telecaster Ted. And apparently he was uh, still going strong. But the thing that the band that kept coming up and kept being mentioned were a band called Burglar Bill. And um, what I, I, I found out about Burglar Bill, I thought I'll type them in. I'll see what I can find out about them because everybody seems to talk about them as being one of the main bands on the circuit. Um, Burglar Bill um, were Bill Starling, uh, Mick Newton, Peter Otley, uh, Eric Sullivan and Ian Pierce. Um, that's the, the, the lineup that I was able to research. Now, look, this is grassroots music and sometimes people fall out or people don't stay around. But that's the lineup that I remember. So if you remember those those uh, five gentlemen, Bill Starling, Mick Newton, Peter Otley, Eric Sullivan and Ian Pierce, that's the one that uh, were doing the scene at the same sort of time. They were trying to get um, signed. Now, this would have been probably about 73, 74, 75. And at that time, they were sort of following, uh, by, by all accounts, in the footsteps of bands like uh, Dr. Feelgood um, uh, and uh, Mickey Jupps, who was another sort of uh, local... Um, sorry, local was another sort of... Uh, on the up and up, a musician on the up and up. Um, but at that time, they were already well experienced. They'd been playing together for a good while, um, and and but they were still semi semi pro. And apparently, they'd they'd said that they'd seen a band called uh, Capability Brown, um, and decided instead that they would um, try to um, sort of what what they actually quoted as saying was we we saw capability brown and we saw their mistakes and we didn't <laughs> so they said that not me all right but bill starling um formed the band and um at that particular time in 1975 they were negotiating a publishing contract with atv gto and uh, and chrysalis were their agents now i know chrysalis was still around and, and uh, as far as i'm aware they're still around but they were still semi-pro, and and, th- and at that time, they were rehearsing three nights a week, and they were gigging three nights a week, and uh, and that, of course, when you're in that group and you're and you're constantly writing and constantly performing, as I said last week, when you're living in each other's pockets and and technology doesn't come along and and take you away, you know, put you in a world of your own. That's the thing with iPods and movies; it puts you in a world of your own. And I think a band. Uh, an idea of a band is it is it's a it's a, well, a band of brothers, but it's it's you all live in each other's pockets, and when you're doing that, you're writing all the time, you're performing all the time. There's a famous story that Highway Star by Deep Purple was written on the tour bus. One of the press asked, "How do you write a song then?" and and Richie Blackmore starts messing about on his banjo, and Gillan stuck some vocals on it, and then they played the song in the set that night. Um, and I believe that. Because uh, although it was many, many years ago and things have changed since, my experience of being in a band at that time was that you all had that chemistry where you would, somebody would do something and you'd all react to it. And um, yeah, so so that was the, the rumour with that. And of course, Highway Star opens um, Machine Head, which I, I consider to be a fabulous album. And I'm sure Deep Purple will be over the moon that that bloke from Grassroots Music UK thinks their album's a masterpiece. I'm sure that that... that you know, they can sleep soundly in their beds now. But, um, yeah, and it goes to show you that things are, are put together. And Burglar Bill were, as I said, rehearsing three nights a week and gigging three nights a week, which is a hell of a schedule, but it it, it gave them enough material of their own. Um, but um, 
the producer they had a producer called uh, Brian Wade, and um, they 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 referred to themselves as a mature band. Um, they were a little bit older than. Um, uh, well, although having said that, um, you know this is, some, something happened in in sort of the late eighties, the, the the early nineties, where everybody had to be sort of eighteen or nineteen, and all the boy bands came along and stuff like that. But before that, um, yes, you had you know the obvious people, and of course they're younger because they're you know um, the circuit they were on. And, but but to be fair, that quite a lot of the bands by the time they were signed. Um, I mean, people forget Noel Gallagher was 28 when he was signed, which was considered at that time. Um, and, and Oasis was signed right in the middle of the uh, sort of the boy band thing, right in the middle of the boy zones and the take that's and the Westlifes. Comes this band who are all sort of late 20s and nobody batted an eyelid. And still now people don't see them. They, they, I think we all see the Rolling Stones as who they were on on that first album cover. If we've been, you know, if, if we've seen it. We don't think of them as being who they are because music, people who play music are ageless. Um, but um, Burglar Bill were playing um, places like the Queen's Motel, if anybody remembers that, the Basildon Arts Centre and the Thameside Theatre, which is, uh, I believe is still there, but I don't think it's um, a Thameside Theatre anymore. I believe um, that a, uh, say a music company took it over, but I'll promote, but I'll, I'll look into that. Um, and then you had the Nelson, the Golden Lion in Fulham, which uh, a lot of um, that that came up on a few of the gig lists that I was able to research for that time. See, I mentioned last week that a little known band called Iron Maiden had played, who happened to be one of my favourite bands, which is why I give them a, a shameless plug. And again, if there's one thing Iron Maiden need, it's some bloke in his shed in the Hadley telling telling everybody, you know, tell, telling his uh, 200 listeners a week that Iron Maiden are worth a listen. Uh, but they had a look at their gig list. Um, the Golden Lion in Fulham came up, and and they were playing some colleges, and um, but they realised that um, quite a lot of these places uh, were starting to have discos and um, stuff like that. So the live music was, um, you know, it was it wasn't, so it wasn't as popular. But people started to go to discos, and the younger people started to go to discos, um, and the Burglar Bill just said that that was just something else that they had to put up with at that particular time. And there were four writers in the band, so they never ever had to worry about new material. Um, and most of the time they would come in, uh, as, as I said, with, with a song 85% finished and then rehearse it. Um, but uh, in, terms of, um, in terms of gear as well, um, they, they, they were served by Ice Cream Management, who were a, a management company at that uh, time and supplied them with equipment. Um, and Rocky Morgan of ELPs, um, which is uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer's road crew. Uh, they used to drink in a Golden Lion, so they were looking for a PA and they helped him with that. Um, and and um, Burglar Bill um, at that time represented uh, one of the two kinds of Essex rock. Um, and you you would have the Feel Goods and, and the Mickey Jups, who were basically rock and roll. And then there were, there were bands like the Kurzels, the Kurzel Flyers, and uh, come from more of a, a vocal harmony tradition. So when I said earlier that they were following in the steps of uh, Dr. Feelgood and stuff like that, I didn't necessarily mean in music style, but I mean that they were doing a, a similar circuit and they were playing a similar, um, f- forming a, a similar path. But their music was more about vocal harmony. It wasn't, uh, bands like, uh, if anybody remembers, a band called The Symbols. Um, and that's what they, 
that's what they the, 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 the kind of music they were playing at that particular time. So I certainly didn't mean to put them under the Dr. Feelgood and Blues bracket. But it was just I was trying to say that that's the circuit they were moving in. They weren't trying to sound like uh, the Feelgoods or, or Mickey Jupp. But they, they probably would have all known each other and all moved in those cir- circles and played the colleges together and played all the venues together. And the other thing that's really cool as well about um, the end of one of the articles I found is that they, um, they've they taken the time to put the... Um, put, put the... Uh, uh, like a spec list of the equipment that they used at the bottom. So it says, Bill Starling plays a Gibson 335. Mick Newton sings. So <laughs> Sorry, Mick, I didn't tell you what microphone you used. Uh, Peter Otley played a Rickenbacker bass. Eric Sullivan plays a Heyman drum kit. And Ian Pierce played a gold top Les Paul. And that was a very old school thing that I discovered as well. I mean, I remember buying the Shadows um, at their very best album in 1988. They went back in and they recorded all their songs again. And, and right in the sleeve notes, because I was a bit of a loser and, I, and, I, and a buff, and I used to love reading the sleeve notes, you know. And uh, it said right at the bottom... And it, and it said uh, Hank Marvin used a Vox Eighth. It just told you the, the exact amp that he'd used and the pedal he'd used because they knew, you know, as everybody that listened to The Shadows knew, that a lot of people would want to try and get that sound. I don't think anybody ever really did, but, you know, and, and if you if you have a particular tone that you're after, then, um, of course, you, you gravitate to that. And they took the time to say this is what he used because they know that it's in the hands you know, I could I could go and set up through Hank's rig, and I'd never sound like Hank. Um, but but if you want to know what equipment to use, they and I think they should do that. I think, although although I will say that um, another thing that I discovered as well, whilst researching a few of these things, and and I wanted to do um, a couple of things with a few of the bands, who, who, who to be fair, I, I won't name anybody because they were very respectful, and very very nice about it, but. Some of the tribute bands I wanted to do, like uh, there's a program called Rig Rundown, and I, and I wanted to do a, something similar with them. I wanted to talk to some of the tribute bands about how they got their tone and how they work to get that tone because they don't have the sponsorship of Gibson and they don't have, don't have worldwide management. They're, they're you know they're blokes like and blokes like you and me trying to find and ladies trying to find the sound of their heroes to a certain extent. And I was curious about how they did it. I mean, I when I played Noel in, in Oasis, I kind of know how I got my sound, and I always shared it. Ibanez Tube Screamer, Digital Delay. Um, and then after that, it's in the fingers. It's how it's played. You have to play in a certain way. Brian May is another example. You have to play in a certain way. Not that I sound anything like Brian May. Um, but, um, you know, when I played a few of the Queen tribute shows... Um, I realised very early that it wasn't about equipment. It was in the hands and how you attacked it and how you played and um, more bands should do that. But I was going to come to that, that. A lot of guitar players are very secretive about how they get that. There was um, a few legendary guitar players, and uh, I will name him because he is a legend, and I consider him to be a legend because his name comes up a lot, and it's Terry Newman, who um, my my mate Ken always said he saw Terry at what um, used to be the Green Man at uh, Leightonstone. It became an O'Neill's, and um, I think it might still be an O'Neill's. But he saw Terry at the, at the Green Man, and Terry had like a Marshall stack then, and he said it just. He said I haven't ever heard a tone like it. It was just unbelievable. Um, but if you met Terry, 
by all accounts, he had stickers over everything. He wouldn't <laughs> he wouldn't give any of his secrets away. So um, whilst I never met Terry and uh, and I'd love to meet him, the last question I'll ask him will be, how do you get your sound? Because I expect the answer will probably be one or two fingers um, or a very polite, I can't tell you that. Um, but uh, yeah, so Terry Newman was, was another musician who was well respected and well known. But some people are protective of the sound they get. And um, but I think it would be a really cool thing if if more people did that, if, if more bands in their lining notes said, Although, you know, you get these things like, you know, in Iron Maiden, Adrian Smith plays Jackson guitars or, or Dean guitars or whatever guitar he's playing for that tour, you know. Um, but I think something like that would make a big difference to, to, to the musicians out there, not necessarily the, 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 most of the fans. But, but Burglar Bill, that was a little bit of history on, on them um, and their management and, uh, and the circles that they moved in. And, and it, as I said, it was Bill Starling, Mick Newton, Peter Otley, um, Eric Sullivan and Ian Pierce. So if anybody knows of those gentlemen um, or anything about them or has any other information on them, please email me at innovationstudiosuk at gmail.com or go to the website www.innovationstudios.com or find me on Instagram um, or inbox me uh, on the Grassroots Music UK page on Facebook or Innovation Studios page on Facebook. And... Um, Tell me a little bit more because they sound like a real legendary band who, uh, I won't say they've been forgotten, but they, let's put it this way, they haven't been as remembered as they should have been. So that was a little bit of information on Burglar Bill. Music tuition online. Have your guitar, bass, mandolin, vocal tuition, even production live online. One-to-one tuition via Skype or alternative streaming media. Learn from the safety of your own home. For further information, please contact us at Innovation Studios at www.innovationstudios.com. So I think going forward, this might be the, the, the best format, which is to maybe every week mention a few uh, venues or two or three venues and then um, tell you what I know about it and then leave you to uh, fill in the blanks a bit because <laughs> look I can't do all the work on my own people but um, just to share your memories of those particular places so um, last week uh, was mostly the double six and there'll be a, a YouTube feature on that coming soon um, and I mentioned the powerhouse as well but uh, funnily enough most of the correspondence I received last week was about the double six it was uh, probably just uh, the way it went, but I have a little look at uh, at the powerhouse stuff. I'm sure I will. But let's have a look at a new venue, which again it's uh, this week, uh, which I did mention very briefly last week. But um, I'm going to have a look at the Landon Hotel, which which stood. Um, it was built in 1896, and it stood in the High Road, Landon, between Durham Road and Aston Road. Um, and it was originally built. Um, as part of a proposal for a race course. Um, and, and apparently they, a company was looking to purchase uh, 350 acres of land um, and to provide all the necessary amenities. Um, but the adventure failed. Um, but apparently a course and a fencing was laid out and the hotel formed part of the package. Um, although the race course was never built, they kept the hotel. Um, and Frederick Dupont was the um, builder, or at least the the, the main uh, 
uh, yeah, the main builder. The de- design was uh, the work of Mr. T.T. Matthews. Um, and uh, a man called Alfred William Paul was the holder of the first license, um, which then was transferred to Charles Newton on the 16th of August, 1906. Uh, Seabrook and Sons were the brewery um, from Grays, although Charrington's um, apparently took over in um, from from about 1929, yeah, and then from 1967, um, Bass. Bass Charrington was like the, the chain, and it said that the um, that it said that there was uh, regular entertainment, um, and um, yes, they've said that there was um, a, a thing called Bunny Girls. Whether that was one of the um, acts or because I found out about the Double Six as well, and several venues, which I'd say it surprised me. It didn't surprise me. But several venues used to have uh, strippers, and and the Double Six had strippers on a Friday lunchtime at sort of twelve o'clock. And bearing in mind, not that I'm one, but a lot of people sort of go to those sort of establishments now at one or two o'clock in the morning after a club to, to see them at twelve o'clock in a pub. Um, seems unbelievable, but apparently it was quite a, a, a regular thing. Um, and that was the they were the the Bunny Girls. Um, and the landlord at that time was Bob Richards, um, and they had an upstairs room that could be um, hired for private functions, which I'm assuming um, is probably where a lot of some of the bands would have played there. Um, Charrington's had it refurbished in 1974 and put in a, a new larger lounge bar, and as well as a larger stage. And at that time, it was run by Ron and Anne uh, Ewins, um, and it... Um, yeah, it became it just became the Langdon, but I don't know. I always knew it as the Langdon Hotel. So, um, but the Pinkies had played there. The good old Pinkies, they get everywhere. Um, and I'm sure most of the venue, most of the bands that we've mentioned would have played at the Langdon Hotel. Um, and of course, round the back, they also had a football team. I think that used to play round the back. I know Berry Boys was part of the team that used to play round the back. But um, uh, it, I think um, the site of the Langdon Hotel is now where the KFC is. Um, but it was the Toomey's for, for for a good while as well. And the Langdon Centre was built a, a little bit after that. But the Langdon Hotel, the pub that we remember, and it, and it was a football team that used to play on, let's say, Sunday mornings. But um, it, it, it closed in the late 80s. But like uh, like the Double Six and several other venues, sadly, it was a victim of a few arson attacks. Um, and it uh, was eventually demolished in April 1991. Doesn't seem possible that it was 30 years ago that that was demolished because I can almost see it because I, I mean, although it wasn't, uh, I didn't go there much and by the time it was demolished, I was 17, but I would have gone in there and played football around the back because the Berry Boys used to play um, and uh, around the back and I used to play, not that I was any good at football, but I used to play there um, and local sporting events were held on, on the meadow. Um, but by the time the site had become really, really overgrown and the KFC um, were trying to uh, build a drive-through, which ultimately they, ha- they have managed to do. But the local residents really disapproved of that. Um, and in, in 2012, a revised application was submitted and also turned down. But it looks to me as if, um, having bought a KFC there and having driven through it myself and, and having performed the other night at a venue very near to it, that uh, they got their wish because KFC is there and it's loud and proud, people, and I think we're stuck with it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how I felt about it, but I'd, I'd 
as a musician, I don't think any music venue should be torn down and, and replaced by fast food. But you know, I suppose you know money, pounds and pounds and shillings, and all that sort of stuff. So that's the Langdon Hotel. So if anybody's got any more stories about Langdon Hotel, and I know there are a fair few, and I know there is a lot of people who, who would have had functions there, would have seen some bands there, and if they had a stage then they had entertainment. And I'm going to do a little bit more research in some of the bands that played at Langdon Hotel, and I'd appreciate your help with that. Um, and I'm also going to have a look. I know it's a big one, um, but I, I think it's it's valid. The reason it's valid is because a mate of mine, um, Gary, Gaz, um, got on to me and said, look, uh, I used to drink at the Grand Hotel in Lee. Well, now everybody's played the Grand Hotel in Lee. And... Um, he said to me, which I think I thought was one of the coolest things. He said that when he used to um, drink in there on a Friday night, their jukebox was all bands that had played there, but like unsigned. So they used to have what they called an unsigned jukebox. So the only music you could play while you were sitting there was unsigned bands, and I think that's a cracking idea. I think, um, you know, if if I had a venue, that's the first thing I'd do. I just think it was a brilliant uh, uh, idea to, to just have... Because I think it got away from people playing the same old cheese as well. You know, people who are always playing... The, you get these people who play in all the same same stuff and all the all the same old music that you always get. And I think it's um, really important that um, and really cool that they um, took the time to put the unsigned bands on a jukebox. And he said, I used to put a tenor in there and stick colour kinesis in on a Friday night. I said, well, goodness me. I'm sure people loved you, didn't they? But um, but the Grand Hotel, um, they had everybody there. There's, there are stories about that over there. I mean, I, I, I first went to the Grand Hotel to see a band called Man, who were a, a, apparently a big prog rock band in this. It was not apparently, they were. Uh, along the times of Yes and bands like that, they were a, a big prog rock band, and I saw them uh, at the Grand Hotel. I played the Grand Hotel um, a, few, a fair few times, and of course, the obvious uh, Doctor Feelgood would have played it, and Eddie and the Hot Rods, and I'm sure, I'm sure that that, that uh, Burglar Bill and the Pinkies and some of these bands that were really, really well known that I've mentioned, um, Prowler and all, all these bands that were doing that circuit would have played the Grand Hotel at Lee. Um, Apparently, um, a few years ago, well, it's not apparently again, it was um, on the front page of the Echo that um, there was a gig there one night and it was Ronnie Wood's um, kids and he got up and jammed with them. So he had Ronnie Wood playing at the Grand and getting up and doing a, a few songs. Um, but people were, were talking about it being knocked down and being made into flats or whatever. But I, I'm not sure as we as we speak now what's going on because they were talking about a completion date by September of 2021. But of course, things have changed. So I'm going to look into that and find out a bit more about uh, the Grand Hotel. But I thought it was a really cool idea about the jukebox, and I thought it was worth uh, worth sharing. Um, and the other one I wanted to look at um, is the Dickens in Wickford, which I knew when I by the time I came along, um, it was called Frasier's. Although I did go in there as the as the Dickens a few times, and the Dickens was there along um, the the high road there. Um, I'll give you the actual address of it. It was because there was a club upstairs as well. So uh, it was London Road um, in uh, in Wickford. 
and it was the Dickens. And it was opened in 1983. Now, I thought it was older than that, but um, it was opened by a gentleman called Dennis O'Callaghan um, of Ivanhurst Limited. And it was opened in 1983. Um, and it was a, a, apparently originally a um, leisure centre of some description. And he turned it into a restaurant and a pub trade. And then he opened a disco upstairs, um, which I didn't actually know. Um, but it was called Severe's. And it was only short-lived, apparently. But um, they used to show football in there and um, and various sports and things like that. So that would have been an early... Um, well, I say an early, but, but, but for, for showing football and things like that, I don't, doubt they had the big screen. But, um, yeah, people would have been probably crowded around uh, a couple of TVs um, to watch that. But that's, uh, yeah, the, wicked, the, the, um, the Dickens. Um, and it was just, for me, by the time I, I played there, it was Frasier's. Um, and it had been taken over, and it was really cool. I mean, I, I liked it, and the stage was still in the same place. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it, now it's um, behind the shops. It's now a block of flats and stuff like that, but the Dickens, again, would have had all of these places, uh, all of these legendary um, places and all of these legendary bands would have, would have played it. Um, and, you know, unbelievably, um, these places... It, they're just, they're just not there anymore, and it's a real shame. But I suppose, you know, if the trade isn't coming in, there we go. But looking at um, Wickford, there was another one um, in Wickford as well, which was just down a bit from um, from uh, the Dickens, um, and that was called The Castle, which, as I mentioned last week, um, was demolished in 1998, but it was the Castle Hotel, and it was an old coaching hotel, um, and that's now on the site of the Aldi. But if anybody played the Castle Pub, um, or anybody knows any more about that, and I'll carry on trying to find out a little bit more about it, because it's important to me, um, then I'll I'll make that uh, a subject for next week. So next week's episode will be the Grand Hotel, the Dickens in Wickford, and probably a little bit more about the Castle, as well as corresponding with some of your emails. I'm just going to correspond with a few of your of your emails just quickly before I go. Um, Dennis in Billericay says, Hi Marcus, did you ever play The Rising Sun? Um, I don't think I did. Although there, there was a, a huge, um, and still is, but certainly at that particular time, a huge um, market for live music. And when I say live music, I mean, you know, duos and trios. Along Billericay High Street, you had uh, the Checkers, which I think everybody has played, um, and the Red Lion, and um, and then the, some of the pubs towards the end, at the other end, the railway. Um, and of course, the, the, the school end, Billericay School end, you had Quilters, which became uh, oh, I can't think what it was called, but it was it was Quilters when it was um, sort of most of the bands were playing there. I never played the Rising Sun, um, but I wish I had. But I can tell you, um, it's been closed since two thousand and fourteen, and I don't know if it's been demolished yet. Um, funnily enough, I only drove past the site the other week, but I didn't look that way and I can't remember if if the Rising Sun is there. I, I hope I think it still is. I think the building is still there, but um, that's you know, that's um, I, I never played it, I'm sorry. Um, somebody did ask me if I played the old Queen's Head in Old Road, which um, that was in um, I think it was, is it Braintree Way? The old Queen's Head Old Road. Uh, yes, I did, but I did it solo a fair few years ago, and that's been empty since 2011, and the last landlords there were Christine Johnson and Paul Lofthouse, um, 
and they'd spent thousands on repairs and refurbishment. But it, uh, and it, and uh, and they reopened the pub in 2008, and, and at that time it had been shut for 13 years. So if I did play it, it would have been in the very very early days of. So it must have been wall to wall, maybe. It's been known as the Surrex Inn, the American Pilot, the East Anglian Roadhouse, and the Porterhouse Inn. Um, and uh, again, in 2000 of uh, August of 2017, a fire ripped through it. Um, so, yeah, more arsonists. Um, but it was along alongside some of the other Braintree pubs, the Saracen's Head, um, the Bell Hotel, um, and the King's Head in Coggleshall Road, Road which uh, apparently is now a Tesco's Express. But at that particular time, I'm sure, whether it was a hotbed of music or not, I'm sure that they had bands and entertainment there. And I... I count, although I'm researching, um, you know, the legendary bands that played. Of course, some of these people I've seen some some great people um, who who work with legendary people. Christa Berg, um, his his guitar player Al. I've seen him at uh, what used to be the Plasma in Wickford, just doing a solo one night, just earning a few quid and playing a few songs. Um, and I, through my own ignorance, ignorance, I've forgotten his name, but it was definitely Al. And uh, Really great sound and really great tone, but just earning a few quid on his doorstep, I, I guess, just between tours with Christa Berg. I, I don't know, but that's entertainment as far as I'm concerned. You know, if you if you people are enjoying what you do, and and I, I know the old school bands, and, and I'm kind of one of them who sort of go, oh yeah, but it's all, you know, it's got to be live. Keep music live. That was the musicians' union thing. But times have changed, and I guess the way to earn a living, if you wanted to earn a living, was to get some tracks and go out as a solo, and um, a few a few of those people that that uh, you see on the on on the you know, as as backing musicians for some of the legendary artists they have to earn a crust in between tours and uh, and in between albums and some of them go out and do a few solos you could see the bay city rollers or various members of the bay city rollers in pubs at one time and i'm sure there are various members of a lot of these bands that have gone and played a pub one night either as a dep or helping out just to make a few quid you know we've all done that um, the White Hart in Brentwood was a very legendary venue. It's now it's now the Sugar Hut, but it was the White Hart, um, and um, that was a legendary um, uh, sorry, it was a legendary music venue. Lot, lots of bands played the White Hart in in Brentwood, um, and it was a Tony. Uh, I'm assuming from Brentwood, um, who had said to me about have a look at the Sugar Hut uh, that used to be. Um, the White Heart, and he said there are a few bands used to play that. So there are so many that I've got to do. Um, somebody asked me as well, um, Derry asked me, "Do you play? Have you ever played the Ball in Blackmore? Blackmore uh, is um, Brentwood, um, a sort of chipping onger, isn't it? Uh, uh, no, I didn't ever play the Ball in Blackmore, but it, it, uh, from what I could find online, it looked like a really cool place to to play." Um, I played the Spread Eagle in Ingot, Ingotstone, and that's now been demolished. I played um, the Beehive in Great Baddo, which is now boarded up. Um, I don't think, uh, and once again, 2015, um, Flames engulfed the Wooden Summer House. So that's been um, boarded up. Of course, I mentioned the Army and Navy last week. Also, there's uh, a venue um, called uh, Judge Tyndall's Tavern, which was um, in... Um, Chelmsford, yeah, in this in the city centre there, um, and apparently Jimi Hendrix had played that uh, ahead of a corn exchange appearance in 1967. So there are so many different venues that I've got to get the ch Cherry Tree, 
um, which uh, again is in Chelmsford, although there's a cherry tree in Dagnan, don't get them confused. Um, the cherry tree, and that, that had been a site since 1848, and had been the cherry tree since 1862, and it was called Greenlands for a while, but it's been boarded up and it's hardly there now. Um, and the, the Green Man in Chelmsford and Highwood, I never played that either. Somebody mentioned that to me. But I get that all the time, just flicking back through my emails, the amount of different venues that people had asked me about. Uh, the Stockwell Arms and the Stockwell Arms, um, again, was sort of, um, Chel- I think it was Chelmsford Way, but I might be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, the Mole Trap in Epping, the Spotted Dog, uh, Spotted Dog um, in Epping. Um, yes, I played that years ago. Um, many, many years ago, the White Heart in Malden. There are so many. Um, and as again, as again, it's always nice to get your input. So this week, your homework, people, is tell me your memories, of course, of the powerhouse that I mentioned last week, but also the Grand Hotel in Lee. Just find, I want to find out a little bit more about that, and I'm going to carry on researching that one. Um, and the Dickens in Wickford. I'm going to have a little look at that one as well. But keep your emails coming in and keep your correspondence coming in. I've got some really exciting um, interviews coming up and some really exciting news in a couple of weeks. Um, I won't say anything about that yet, but some real exclusives and some, and some exciting news coming up. So stay tuned. But again, thanks for being me, mate. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for subscribing. And thanks for your emails and your input. www.innovationstudios.com. That's the website of the studio. Um, you can find the Grassroots Music UK podcast on Instagram. You can find the Grassroots Music UK page on Facebook. And you can find me on Twitter. Um, and you can also find me on Skype if you want to send me a message on Skype or you want to have a chat on Skype or you want to do an interview or contribute in any way. Inbox me uh, on Facebook and, look, and all of that other stuff. But um, thanks very much again for listening in. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. I know sometimes I have a tendency to rant about these things. But look, I'm still finding out. And I'm still learning about it, and I intend to do it properly. But Rome wasn't built in a day. Shame, really. We could have lugged some gear in and played them a gig. Take care of yourselves, all right? Yours in music, signing off. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>